The series of American Dental Association podcasts is offered as information only and not as financial, accounting, legal, or other professional advice. Listeners must consult with their own professional advisors for such advice. The ideas and comments expressed during the podcast are not necessarily endorsed by or those of the American Dental Association. Welcome to the ADA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ken Smith. The topic of today's show is non-fluoride caries agents, and my guest is Dr. Tim Wright. Dr. Wright, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good, good to be here. Before we get started, Dr. Wright, if you could give us a little bit about your background and your credentials. I am a pediatric dentist uh, by training, and I have a full-time academic appointment. I'm the chairman of pediatric dentistry at the University of North Carolina. Currently also serve as the chair of the Council on Scientific Affairs for the American Dental Association. Great. Great. Well, it's nice to have you here. Let me ask you first off here, just to get us started, is dental caries in the United States still such an issue that new therapeutic agents are necessary? You would think with our current technologies and understanding of preventive agents that we would have uh, caries under control in the United States. The reality is that by age 19, virtually all Americans will have had at least one filling or one cavity. So that dental caries remains a highly prevalent endemic disease in the population. And even more concerning is there are certain segments of the population where it seems to be most prevalent. And we have a common saying in dentistry that 80% of the disease resides in 20% of the population. So Mm. if we could develop and implement and have new strategies to prevent dental caries, especially in these segments of the population that have such high disease levels, it would be tremendously helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you were part of the expert panel that developed recommendations on non-fluoride caries preventive agents. Can you describe to us the nature of the work conducted by this panel? Sure. The American Dental Association, through the Council on Scientific Affairs, convened a panel of experts. There were 18 individuals that served on this council that included individuals with expertise such as cariology and epidemiology, statisticians, people that are well-versed in evidence-based methodemiologies, and also uh, stakeholders such as practicing dentists, pediatric dentists, public health dentists. This group was convened to answer specific clinical questions such as what therapeutic modalities are out there and what is the evidence that they are effective in clinical practice to prevent dental caries. The process was that they that was the fundamental question that was to be asked. They did a comprehensive review of the literature uh, assessing literally hundreds and hundreds of different articles on clinical trials. They then analyzed those using a very specific methodological approach, appraising the data, the the validity of that data, the strength of that data. And then the panel comes together to make specific recommendations based on that scientific evidence so that they can then provide information to practicing clinicians as to what modalities seem to be the most effective based on the evidence. Once they've gone through that process, this is then sent out for external review to stakeholders and other experts in the field. All of that then is reassembled and and evaluated, and then the final recommendations come out from that group. So that's the process. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Why did the panel choose to look at non-fluoride agents? The reason that that was the topic selected for this review is that there are many different modalities that are currently commercially available that are 
directed at addressing dental caries. And the clinicians that are in the field and and providing oral health care for the population in the United States has very little information as to the effectiveness and the appropriate method as one might apply these therapeutics outside of what the sales representatives and commercial uh, folks are, are telling them. So it was decided that it was time to look at the many different modalities that are out there and what is the evidence behind them and in what populations do they seem to be most effective. Okay. Well, what types of agents were analyzed by the panel? Well, there were a variety of different uh, agents that were looked at. In fact, when initially when the question was asked, it because we're just looking for therapeutics that might affect caries, we cast a very broad net and we're interested in all different modalities, including things like probiotics, different kinds of antibacterials, uh, agents that might stimulate remineralization, agents that might stimulate salivary flow that would stimulate remineralization, uh, alternative sweeteners, um, different agents uh, such as mineral agents, uh, combinations of minerals and ions that would also promote mineralization. So we looked at all of these different modalities when we were evaluating possible therapeutics that might have benefit. Well, tell me, Tim, what recommendations were made by the panel? Well, once we evaluated the literature and the clinical trials that were available, uh, some agents, we there wasn't adequate information to evaluate, but there were a number of therapeutic approaches that did have adequate clinical information to be able to make recommendations either for or against the use of those products. One of those is the use of chewing gum that is sweetened with xylitol or other polyols that can stimulate saliva. Also, lozenges that have these uh, non-carbohydrate sweeteners or non sucrose sweeteners in them, uh, we recommended in certain populations as being therapeutically advantageous. Another therapeutic modality that there was clinical evidence to support that it may be effective was a chlorhexidine thymol varnish that was shown to be effective for root caries. Well, what is a polyol combination? Well, polyols are polyalcohols. That's what polyol stands for. And in the confectioner market and in the chewing gum market, these polyols such as sorbitol, mannitol, xylitol are car- their um, chains of their carbohydrates that have multiple alcohol groups, thus the name polyol. Mm-hmm. There are some of these that, uh, such as xylitol and sorbitol that are used extensively in the chewing gum or other confectioner market and have been shown to either not promote caries or have minimal ability to promote acid production by the bacteria and thus have been shown to be potentially beneficial in helping prevent dental caries. Okay. Well, tell me this, uh, Tim. How do these polyol products help prevent caries? And what is the mechanism of action? And does it matter what type of sweetener it contains? There are a number of these that are currently commercially available in a variety of different chewing gums, lozenges, and candies. Uh, Common ones, the early common ones, were combinations of sorbitol and mannitol. More recently, there has been literally an explosion of the use of xylitol in chewing gums and lozenges and other formulations to help prevent caries. There are different schools of thought as to what the exact mechanisms of these different therapeutic agents are, but uh, I think there's general agreement that a key 
mechanism for prevention of caries with lozenges and chewing gums is they stimulate saliva. And saliva has the required calcium and phosphate minerals. It has fluoride and therefore is an ideal vehicle for promoting remineralization. So all of these have that underpinning of helping to stimulate a great remineralizing therapeutic. There is evidence that the use of xylitol is actually somewhat superior to other polyol combinations in chewing gums and and in lozenges. The exact mechanism of that added benefit is not fully understood. It may be that sorbitol is partially fermentable by the acid-producing bacteria, and there may be other mechanisms as which we do not yet understand, but xylitol does appear, based on the scientific literature, to have some benefit over other polyol combinations. Okay. Well, I'm just wondering, are these agents recommended instead of fluoride and sealant, or in addition to them? That's a great question. And they're, the gold standard for caries prevention in, uh, remains, and the strongest evidence in support of is the use of fluorides and sealants. Uh, there is long standing, many years of evidence that those therapeutic modalities are highly effective, uh, and they remain the gold standard for caries prevention. Can these other therapeutic modalities be of benefit in addition to those agents? In certain populations, they may well have additional benefit. Uh, the recommendations, for example, to add chewing gum on top of a, an already existing fluoride sealant-based preventive program could provide added benefit in those individuals who, despite the use of fluorides and sealants, continue to have disease. So the current recommendations are that these therapeutics are adjunctive to and not replacements for fluorides and sealants. Now, having said that, there is uh, there may be populations where those therapeutic agents may not still provide the benefit that we would hope that they would. Hmm. Hmm. I'm wondering, are these agents recommended for anyone or specific people? Well, as in all cases of developing a preventive dental program, they are for tailor-made preventive programs. So that in and of itself suggests that they are really for individuals and not a population base. Usually, again, these are adjunctive to existing therapeutic therapies that we know are uh, that are effective, such as fluorides and sealants. So in most cases, they're going to be added on for reasons such as um, individual that is not responding to other therapeutic approaches, such as fluorides and sealants, or someone who has a very high caries rate, or someone where the use of a chewing gum may fit into their lifestyle better than would, say, a fluoride rinse modality. So it's really a customizing of the preventive program for each individual and then selecting from our different armamentarium of therapeutic agents which will suit that individual patient's needs best and their lifestyle most effectively. Mm -hmm. How do you decide whether to incorporate these products into your practice, and how would you use them? Well, each one would be used differently, and it would depend partly on the population that you're treating and the uh, carries of the population, carries risk and carries rate within the population that you have. For example, the use of chewing gum. Chewing gum is not recommended in children under four, so that's not a solution that one would incorporate for 
children that have early childhood caries. However, if you have a teenage population uh, that is having a teenage patient that's having a disease that is not responding well to current therapies, the addition of a chewing gum therapeutic may be beneficial in that individual. The addition of a chlorhexidine thymol varnish if you're treating an elderly individual who's having issues controlling root caries, that would be an indication where the addition of a chlorhexidine thymol varnish to assist that patient in controlling that disease may be very beneficial. So again, incorporating them is on an individual basis and it should be selective for that patient using those modalities that have been proven to be effective in clinical trials and for that specific indication of caries risk. Well, now, Tim, the the panel intended to look at other non-fluoride caries preventive agents such as calcium phosphate and casein phosphopeptide. Why didn't they make recommendations on these? There were a number of very interesting therapeutic agents that are out there that are, some are are quite uh, prevalent in some of the therapeutic agents. For example, calcium phosphate combinations are now supplied in many of the different fluoride applications that we're using. There are casein phosphopeptides and amorphous calcium phosphate combinations that are being marketed and used in a variety of practices and recommended in a variety of caries control um, situations. The reason that the expert panel could not make recommendations either for or against the use of these products is there is inadequate clinical evidence to support or refute whether or not these agents are effective. And it points to the really critical need that we have in oral health care and in dentistry to have more evidence-based clinical type uh, clinical trials to evaluate these many different therapeutic modalities so we have the information to allow us to make evidence-based recommendations. Well, now, guidelines. Uh, Where can I find the guidelines? Well, the guidelines were published in the September 2011 issue of the Journal of the American Dental Association, and there's an executive summary that that will review the, the fundamentals that we, the recommendations that were derived from the panel. The full review can be gotten online at the ADA's Evidence-Based Dentistry website, that is at the ebd.ada.org website. Well, we are just out of time, uh, Dr. Wright, and uh, I, uh, I want to thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for having me here. I enjoyed talking with you. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Tim Wright, and the ADA Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us, and please visit ada.org, the premier website for oral health care information. I'm your host, Ken Smith.